I want to begin this five-week study on Sabbath by looking at a set of texts that is very, very, very familiar to all of us. Um, whether you have a church background or not, I think this is something that you uh, will know quite well. This is Exodus 20. It says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. Some translations would say jealous God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you, are, you may work and do all your tasks but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals or the immigrant who is living with you, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely against your neighbor, do not desire your neighbor's house, do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the horn and the mountain smoking, the people shook with fear and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid because God has come only to test you and to make sure that you are always in awe of God so that you don't sin. The people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness in which God was present. This is the word of the Lord. This is a very familiar passage, yet if you think about it, and even as I was reading over those verses, for some of you it might be um, a moment of questioning. Some of those verses are, are pretty, pretty tough when you sit down and actually listen to what's happening in them. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me, though, is this concept of rest. One of the things that I will never understand as a father is Abram fighting sleep. It does not make sense to me. In my limited knowledge of children's brains, the rubbing of the eyes and the falling over at the, the blow of a very light wind, I could just walk by and it might be enough to, to make him fall over, just the, the whining and like, you know that he's tired, he's been up for hours upon hours upon hours, but when you put him in his crib, the only thing that he does is scream his head off. Parents in the room, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. This was Abe, uh, I don't know, four or so months ago, and we actually took that picture and sent it to a friend saying, Abe's really sad that you can't come over for dinner tonight. So we were that family like, oh, this is so cute. And now we're like, oh my goodness. But it doesn't make sense how he is so tired 
The one thing that he needs is just to close his eyes and to, to relax, but he just fights it. For some people, and I was even having this conversation with Laura before service, some of us will uh, fight sleep for different reasons. Um, for kids that are five or six or even 10 or 13 or 22 or 40, if there's something going on, you can't close your eyes and sleep because you have to be where the action is. If there's three people out in the kitchen having a conversation, you can't lay down and go to sleep. You've got to be at the kitchen table saying, what's new? Let's dish. Because people say that. If you didn't know, I think, I think they do. Um, others of us were so worried about the events of the day. I will lay in bed and replay conversations that I have with some of you or comments that I make on Facebook or through text and just wonder, did that, did that sound right? Do they think that I'm really rude? I have this persona that is not the most, um, um, I don't know the word, but it's like, I, I don't make people feel warm upon the sight of me coming into the room like, oh, there's Josh, I can relax now. Whew, it's good. I don't really inspire that. Um, so a lot of times my conversations with you, I'll, I'll overthink and overanalyze and wonder if I have caused you to hate me. <laughs> For others of you, there's different things that, that keep you up at night and help you to fight sleep. It's things like finances, things like relationship issues, like real relationship issues, not the ones that you've conjured up in your mind, the ones that are very, very, very present in who you are. There's things that, that take place in your life where this becomes us, in a different sort of way. I'm a teacher. You've heard a lot of my teaching stories, but one of the things that has become more and more frustrating uh, the longer that I'm in this gig, this is my fourth year at SCS. I taught for a year over at Delmarva before that, taught some other places as well. It seems as though now is different than what it used to be. It seems as though students are no longer concerned with just video games and trying to get the strength and fortitude to call the girl or call the boy. Now it's like tests and AP schedules and can I get into this college and can I win the acceptance of my parents in becoming the valedictorian or salutatorian or this or that. We have seen as teachers, students that will not sleep because they have exams and they will stay up till two or three in the morning on a Tuesday in high school. And I wonder, what in the world is going on here? Fast forward a couple years to my college students in the room. You know who you are. That you're all around. But when finals happen, some of you turn on that gear of, oh, junk, I need to get my act together and study. That is different than the other types of students that say, day one, oh, junk, I better memorize this syllabus before the next class. We are in a time now, it seems, where people are so wrought with anxiety and fear that rest doesn't happen. I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a PhD student, I'm also a husband, I'm also a father. When I sit down and try to rest, the only thing that I hear in my mind is, why aren't you writing that chapter of your dissertation? You've been working on it for seven years, you're a bum. Why aren't you grading those papers that you know the students are gonna make fun of you on Monday when you show up again and that paper that they wrote three weeks ago isn't graded? Why don't you go write that? Why don't you go, why don't you go grade those papers? Why aren't you spending time with your family? Why aren't you treasuring these moments? 
Why are you listening to the voices in your mind? Like there's, there's no rest where you're just kind of sitting there and all these things are hitting you. And for those of you in the room, it's, it might not be pastoring and teaching. It might be other things, which is why when I, I thought about this, it led me to think about Kate and I. I scoured the annals of my Facebook and my computer's hard drive to find a picture that was halfway decent. And yes, I am falling into the myth of the Pinterest world where we only take pictures of what's beautiful. I should have really given you a picture where I'm sprawled out on the couch unconscious and Kate is working on something and Abe's like creating havoc because that's real life, seemingly. But for us, this idea is, it's a foreign concept. And I'd love to say that it's because of our situation in life But the more I think about who I am as a person, this is who I am as a person. 13-year-old Josh was very troubled about a lot of things. Six-year-old Josh was very troubled about a lot of things, not getting dirty, not letting the cat touch me, escaping the wrath of the dog as I drove into the driveway, not letting the dog touch me. I was very clean. You guys have heard the stories about me. This culminates in me jumping out of bathrooms because of OCD. I call them tendencies to make me feel better about myself. But athlete, 13-year-old Josh, on deck, worried, insanely worried that the game's gonna come down to me. I told Kate the other day that I don't remember enjoying playing the games. If, if, if I was to end up in hell, for me, hell would be the on-deck circle because you just stand there with a donut and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy looks like he's throwing pretty hard. This is going to be embarrassing. And I was good. Like, I batted around 400 in college. But I hated it the whole time. I probably got an ulcer just from thinking about what was going on with that. So this, this idea of rest for us is, it's a struggle. Um, for me, I'm going to add a lot more of those elements of struggle into it. And maybe some of you can identify with that. But I know that as we sit here, rest for a lot of you is a foreign concept. However, Christians in the room and even the non-Christians in the room will probably agree that the Ten Commandments are a good rule of thumb, at least, for living life. Don't kill people. Don't lie. Don't steal other people's wives. Like, these things seem to make sense in our social matrix, okay? But there's other things that we overlook, like remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. This verb here, to remember, is loaded with significance. This is not just a cognitive recall of, oh yeah, the Sabbath, that's nice. There's an underlying implication that you remember in order to do something with it. You recall this information so that you can act accordingly. The, the text continues, remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. You could also translate that, remember the Sabbath day in order to treat it as holy. Like your remembering is the way that you are treating the Sabbath with reverence and holiness. This idea that we are to be a people uh, that work six days and then we take a break. And I'm just thinking of my own experiences in life where that is not true. And if I do take a break, it's riddled with guilt and fear and shame. Some of us, we don't even allow ourselves the opportunity to sit because of all the things that we have to do. Um, But this text is calling us to do our work, whatever that work includes. This isn't just talking about your part-time job. This could be school. This could be Um, the things that you're tirelessly working at that cause you to go away 
from your relationship with Jesus, whatever those things might be, um, God's calling us to stop, to listen, to be still, just to sit. For some of our, our families in the room, this sounds heavenly because the wives are thinking, man, if my husband would just sit with me for 10 minutes. And some of the husbands are thinking, man, if I could just figure out what kind of words to say to my wife in those 10 minutes that we are sitting together without doing things. This could be a monumental breakthrough. For some of us, as we think about sitting and being with God for 10 minutes, it's the same. We don't even know where to begin because we've set up this trajectory for ourselves that looks so foreign to his best for us. Continues, do not do any work on this day, not you, your sons, or your daughters, your male or your female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living among you. Some people say this is like the first humanitarian text in the Bible where God is not just wanting individual Israelites to take a chill and sit for a day. It's also saying anybody in your circumference of, of influence, they're resting with you. Your slaves do not work. Your animals do not work. Your immigrants who are around you do not work. You are setting this example for the world that you are different. Because the whole reason why this hangs in the balance, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. He did not do this because he was tired. You've heard that a thousand times if you spent any moment of your life in church. This is a rest to demonstrate that this God is very, very, very different than other gods who toil and are overcome with insecurities to proclaim themselves as the best, the greatest. And in Genesis, that's not God's problem. Remember, he's the one who's hovering over the face of that chaotic, watery death, almost saying, you've got nothing on me. The things that scare everyone in the world, I created them and I tame them. The chaos that's there, I order it. Get out my face. And here he's saying on the seventh day, he sets up a sits down, props his feet up and says, this is good. And I can sit here and I can enjoy it. And I want you to do the same. In Exodus 20, this idea of Sabbath rest, and I just have to throw this in there to kind of mess with your minds for a little bit. This idea of Sabbath rest is based on Genesis 1 and the story there where God is creating things day one through six and then day seven he rests. Interesting, the 10 commandments are retold in Deuteronomy and in that text, in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath is based on the Exodus. It says, just as I led you out of Egypt, out of slavery, that's the reason why you keep the Sabbath holy. There's two different rationales for why this is. I just want to focus on the one here today, and I just want to throw that in there to say, read your Bibles. Read them. They're interesting. Okay. Um, one scholar named Michael Fishbane says, the Sabbath sanctifies time through sanctioned form of rest and inaction. On this day, certain workday activities and ordinary busyness are suspended and brought to a halt. In their stead, a whole host of the resting, uh, the body and mind are cultivated. The Sabbath sanctifies time and sanctions forms of rest and inaction. For some of us, we need that to be sanctioned, 
because we won't allow ourselves to have it. Another scholar, Walter Brueggemann, talks about the Sabbath as a form of resistance, namely a form of resistance against anxiety and worry, all those things that are pent up. Perhaps some of you, as you sit down and you lay your head on the pillow, it's all the things, it's the test, it's the relationships, it's the debt, it's the lack of a job, it's the lack of influence, it's the lack of self-worth, it's the lack of whatever it is, and you have this anxiousness, this anxiety, and this worry that you're not where you should be or who you are. You can't rest in those moments because you have all these thoughts. And what Brueggemann is saying, Sabbath offers you a moment of reprieve from that. Continues, Sabbath rest is a form of resistance against the incessant multitasking that takes place. When I sit at my computer, who can identify with me? You got 19 things open. You got your Spotify going. You got your internet there. You got your paper pulled up. You've got your, for the seminary nerds in the group, the two of us, you've got your Bible works or accordance pulled up and you're doing some in-depth exegesis. You've got a lot of stuff happening. And every two sentences that you write, you say to yourself, oh, I can check Facebook now. I bet something has happened. Maybe somebody commented on that very witty thing that I posted or that link that I had to share with the world because without it, they would be a little bit less satisfied in who they are. So I need to go check that again. And you do the Facebook, email, Twitter, Instagram. If you got your phone there, you do that cycle because you've earned it. You've written two sentences and you feel good about yourself. And we start that multitasking and we're all over the place. Perhaps it's not just when we're sitting at the computer, it's we've got all these different things that take up ownership of who we are and we give them a very, very, very prevalent voice in our life. Sabbath rest is also a form of resistance against independence and autonomy. The reason why I cannot rest at the very root of it is this, I do not trust God, to do what God is wanting to do, I'll do it myself. Did you hear that? Can you relate to that? We are not a people that's able to sit and wait. We are a people that has to go and do. You have to go make things happen. If there's something that you want, we are, learned, we are taught as Americans to go and get it. If there's a scholarship out there, you write the best application and essay so that you get it. If there's a job out there, you're the first one in line. If the new iPhone shows up, you're also the first one in line. Maybe, not me, probably not. But there's things here where independence and autonomy are good, but oftentimes we subvert God and we don't trust because we don't believe that he'll come through. We are much more confident, perhaps, in taking care of it ourselves. For some of you, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more nuanced where you say, I want to earn God's love and approval by outperforming this person or that person or me from two weeks ago. And again, we're caught up into this routine of trying to be in order to gain God's favor. What's cool about the Ten Commandments, this is not obey in order to earn or merit God's love. This is God saying, hey, I'm in relationship with you and here's some things I'd like you to do. But we're already in relationship. This is not dependent upon that. God puts himself out there for us. We see also that Sabbath rest is at, at the core, it's a form of trust. Sabbath rest is countercultural because everything around us is saying, go, 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 go. 
On Christmas morning, as I was driving from Salisbury to Laurel, we drove by a lot of businesses that were open. Why? Because people like me are out on the roads driving here and there and everywhere else. McDonald's, open on Christmas. I'm not very old, but I do remember that when I was a kid, nothing was open on Sundays. Like stores would shut down. It was, it was indicative of a different time. And now stores are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because that's the American way. Sabbath rest is countercultural. It's defining who a people is in this text and also for us too. It always has been countercultural and it always has defined who these people were. What's at the, at the root of this text here in Exodus 20 is God is different. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God and I am not like Pharaoh. I am the Lord your God and I don't have a quota for brick making. Understand when these people heard this, this rule of rest, take a day off, this was on the heels of making bricks, making bricks, making bricks, making bricks, make more bricks, make more bricks, stack them up nice and tall, take them to the pyramids, wherever they're taking them. Like their idea of, of life is work. It wasn't Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was every day is the same day because every day is brick making day. And here God's saying, I don't have that same quota for you. I am the Lord your God and I'm more interested in covenant than I am in commodity. I'm more interested in the relationship that I have with you than what you can do for me. I'm more interested in making this work than I am in the things that you're striving for. Relax. I'm the Lord your God and I am different and I'm calling you to be different too. We think about this story and these commands, it makes me jump perhaps too quickly to, to myself and to us as a people. Have we forgotten to remember Sabbath? Is it not even on our radar screen because we're so consumed with the things that we have to do, the things that we are possessed by? Can we look at that text and say, yeah, that's a part of who I am. The part of the rhythms of my life are to work six days and then take one off so that I can reconnect with spouse or friend or family and ultimately so I can reconnect with God himself. Is this a day that I look forward to more than any other day because I know that not only can I prop my feet up but I can not worry, not be anxious, not be guilt-ridden or shamed that I can just relax in the relationship that I have with my creator. In America, some studies have been done to show how we spend our time. I don't think that they're right, but they're up here. Um, this is a graph based on a person who works ages 25 to 54 that has kids. Check it out. They sleep for almost eight hours. They work for almost nine hours. They have two and a half hours per day of leisure and sports. Yeah, the, the face that Megan and I are making are two and a half hours of leisure and sports. That, that doesn't make sense to me. The other thing that doesn't make sense to me, look at it. How long is this person eating? One, one hour 
in some cultures, that's like preheating the oven. Like you're sitting around the table eating bread and just being with people. But we are a McDonald's generation. We're through the drive-through line. Perhaps it's Chick-fil-A because we are Christians by course. So we go to Chick-fil-A, pat ourselves on the back, and then we eat in the car because we've got things to do. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us, food and drink, and we eat in our gross cars by ourselves a lot of times. It, does, it doesn't make sense here. I like how they have 1.3 hours of caring for others, whatever that entails. I mean, maybe you go sing carols, maybe you go to the local nursing home. I don't know, but people are making time for that in their schedules. When I look around the room, I'm like, well, does Kate count? Does Abe count? Um, this is a chart of married women living with young kids and what they do based on their employment status. So the one on the far left here, that's blue. Yes. Thank you. Colorblind. Guilty. Um, that person that, that, that is a stay-at-home mom sleeps for nine hours and then d cranks out some chores and cares for her kids um, doesn't work, obviously, and then they have about four hours of leisure time. <laughs> that doesn't sound like any mom that, that I'm aware of, but still it's there. And, and here, if you're, if you're working full-time, you've got a little bit less time for household chores and caring for household children, uh, which, which kind of makes sense. Time use on an average weekday for a full-time university student. This, I know, is garbage. I know it's garbage. For half of you, this is totally true, and for half of you, this is totally not true. Um, sleeping for not, close to nine hours? I, I don't think so. You have four hours of leisure time? If you're that type of person, yeah. If you're the other type of person, no. So like there might be a split dichotomy here. But again, you're eating for an hour, and I like that you're grooming for um, eight-tenths of an hour. So at least some of your day, and notice that's not involved in any other graph, okay? The stay-at-home mom is not grooming herself, nor is the employee 25 to 54. They are not grooming themselves. It's just... It gets lumped in somewhere else. You're traveling a lot, maybe back and forth from school, but look at this. Your educational activities in a day, three hours and 20 minutes. That makes me chuckle. <laughs> Some of you call that a warm-up exercise in the library, in that chair that's got your name etched in the side because people know he or she will be there at this time and they will stay there until they get kicked out. Again, some of you, that doesn't register, but for some of you, absolutely. I think that we have a nice representation here um, of both sides of that. But this idea of rest has confounded people for centuries. This is why the Jews came up with rules on top of rules on top of rules. You can't walk this amount of steps. You can't start this fire. You can't do that. You can't bake. You can't, like all these rules in order to protect the Sabbath day. But for us, we don't protect it because we don't remember it's even a part of it. We're so, and perhaps I'm only speaking to a segment of you here, but we're so busy that it's nearly impossible for us to take the time away that we need in order to reconnect 
to stay connected with God and family and friends. Jesus puts this into context uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll close with this. He says, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And I would add, isn't life more than grades? Isn't life more than your part-time job? Isn't life more than your full-time job? Aren't there things that supplant that thing that has become the source of our discontent, the source of our worry and anxiety? Jesus is saying, we got this. Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they are? If the birds are okay, don't you think that he's got you in the palm of his hand and is caring for you? Don't you think that he would allow you to sit and rest like he asked you to do and everything will be okay? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life and why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles worry about these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This call to rest is a form of resistance against anxiety and worry, against the incessant multitasking that takes place in our lives, against independence and autonomy, where we say, don't worry, God, I can do this. I can prove myself to you. This Sabbath is a form of trust, ultimately. I want us just to begin to think through who we are as a people, to ask the very present question, are we obeying this or are we doing something different? I don't want to kick rocks on school or jobs or the things that, that make up a large part of, of our responsibilities, but I don't want God to get missed in all of that. This is a, a very much an instance of do as I say, not as I do. I hope, though, that over the next four weeks, all of us together can begin to learn what it looks like not only to rest, but to be able to rest without the voices that take residence in our minds that say, you're not good enough, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. There's more things that are more important than this because there isn't anything more important than obeying God there isn't anything more important than connecting with your family. There isn't anything more important than beginning to believe that God believes in you. There isn't anything more important 
than celebrating the risen Christ and allowing him to have that one day where you can focus without anything else bogging you down on him and what he wants you to do in those other six days.